Welcome to Forgotten TV, the podcast that brings you TV memories of the 70s and 80s with a focus on short-lived TV shows, TV pilots, and made-for-TV movies. I'm Chris Cooling. Last time on Forgotten TV. This time on Forgotten TV, we continue our look at the 1970s live-action superheroes, which would not be complete without the live-action incarnations of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches feet, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Spider-Man was created in 1961 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Unlike other superheroes of the time, Spider-Man was a teenager in high school. The 1966 animated show theme is probably one of the most recognizable theme songs in pop culture history. Although he appeared in live action and comic book panel form in segments on the children's TV show The Electric Company on PBS starting in 1974, in September of 1977, CBS finally gave us Spider-Man in proper live action primetime form. That original theme from Johnny Spence, this TV movie slash backdoor pilot was produced by Charles Fries and Daniel Goodman. Australian actor Nicholas Hammond starred as Peter Parker, graduate student and Ph.D. candidate and freelance photographer for The Daily Bugle, which was run by J. Jonah Jameson, played by actor David White. 70s tough-as-nails, cigar-chomping Captain Barbera was played by Michael Pataki. While working with radioactive material in the university lab, a spider becomes exposed to radiation and subsequently bites Peter. Peter quickly learns he has embodied powers of a spider, including the ability to climb straight-up walls and stick to ceilings, greatly enhance strength, balance, and agility, as well as a sixth sense informing him of nearby danger. Let's hear Peter explain it. But he's real. There is someone like that. He, he can climb walls and... He is like a spider. I mean it. There is a Spider-Man? Yes, sir. He's like a spider. He can do the things a spider does, you know, um, climb walls and, and spin webs. And he's very, very strong. 
He's got the strength of a spider, but it's all in proportion to his size. Spiders are very, very strong, you know, so he's thousands of times stronger than you or... or me. The costume he constructs off-camera is fairly faithful to the comics, except for his eyes, which are more roundish and have a metallic mesh instead of the traditional white. He later constructs bracelets that can launch ropes to swing on, as well as to be able to web criminals, which looked more annoying than actually being effective. The mechanism and the operation of these is glossed over, but I sense the costume designers were going for realism because it seemed like each cartridge was good for one web shot. Later on during the series episodes, a a utility belt of sorts is is seen made up of these cartridges, uh, which is also quite visible on the exterior of the costume, which probably made the stunt harness easier to hide. Meanwhile, a criminal uses mind control technology to cause ordinary citizens to rob banks against their will. He attempts to blackmail New York City by threatening to cause 10 citizens to commit suicide unless he is paid $50 million. The mastermind turns out to be a self-help guru that runs seminars similar to the EST seminars that were popular at the time, only this guru uses post-hypnotic suggestion along with a microwave signal transmitted to attendees that wear a lapel pin that is a cross between the Nazi SS symbol and the Screen Gems logo. You're drowning. Going deeper, deeper, your life is finally ending, and it deserves to end. But I will give you one last chance. Listen carefully. Listen to what I say, each of you. You must do exactly as I ask. You, Mrs. Elkins, there is something you must do for me, something very important. You must not fail. While investigating, Peter is given one of the lapel pins so he can be gotten rid of along with the ten suicide victims. When the city doesn't come through with the money, the guru commands the ten to jump to their deaths across the city. Peter is saved only when the pin comes loose when climbing a safety fence on top of the Empire State Building to jump to his death. Now to his senses, he quickly gets to the guru's rooftop transmitter and webs it, destroying it in the process making the guru the victim of his own plot. Mr. Byron, you turned into one of your own zombies. I think you need a little help. If you don't mind, let me make a small suggestion. Why don't you go to the police station and tell Captain Barbera all about it? Effects in this TV movie ranged from poorly done blue screen superimposing Spider-Man onto a wall or ceiling to highly effective practical stunts for the time using a cable rig that would enable stuntman Fred Waugh to be seen actually shimmying up the side of a building. One expensive and time-consuming stunt in particular had Spider-Man swing on his web from a rooftop to another building. With the exception of the notable Empire State Building scene, rooftop scenes were filmed in Los Angeles, not New York City. The famous building swing was done between the Rowan Building and the New Million Dollar Hotel, which is now called Rosslyn Lofts. The nearby Rosslyn Hotel sign, which is just across 5th Street, can clearly be seen multiple times, which to this day is used as a filming location, and has been seen as recently as a season one episode of Fox's Lucifer. 
This scene was filmed from numerous angles and was endlessly reused in the series. Spurred by ratings that networks currently would kill for, a 17.8 rating with a 30 share, CBS's highest rating for the entire year, CBS ordered a limited five-episode series. These five episodes aired in April and May of 1978 and gave us new theme music by Stu Phillips. Robert F. Simon was added as J. Jonah Jameson. Parker, you're fired! Actress Chip Fields was J.J.J.'s sassy secretary Rita, a character invented for the series. Mr. Jameson's office. Uh-huh. You want him to donate to what? Honey, you got the wrong Mr. Jameson. You're welcome. The five episodes included The Deadly Dust, parts one and two. Notable for guest starring Joanna Cameron, who had recently finished her run as Isis on Saturday morning, the plot revolved around university students that, as a form of protest, stole plutonium from the university where Peter attends in an effort to make the first atomic bomb constructed by citizens. This was an idea that was recycled in 1986's film The Manhattan Project. Other episodes of this run included The Curse of Rava, Night of the Clones, one of my favorites, and Escort to Danger. These five episodes did very well in the ratings, overall being the 19th highest rated show of the 1977 to 1978 TV season. And to put that in comparison, these are numbers that the NCIS spinoffs currently get for CBS. The Incredible Hulk meets Spider-Man. Each figure a foot tall and fully posable. All you need is a piece of string and here comes Spider-Man. This is a job for the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with a face that's mean. Lots of muscle and skin that's green. Superhero Hulk. Good job, handsome. The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man from the Superhero Collection. Each sold separately by Mego. After the summer break in fall of 1978, we got seven more episodes, and the series was retooled a bit to be less expensive and with more down-to-earth storylines. And we got a funky new jazz theme from composer Dana Kaproff.
actress Ellen Bry was added to the cast as moped riding competing reporter Julie Masters. Oh, pretty. That's uh, Julie Masters. The competition. She sure is. She spoiled four of my best pictures last week. Well, the way I hear you talk about her, she may be the competition, but she's definitely not the enemy. In these seven episodes, whenever Spider-Man springs into action, he has new funky background music. This seven-episode run included... The Captive Tower, the most rarely seen of the episodes. A Matter of State, The Con Caper, The Kirkwood Haunting, Photo Finish, and Wolfpack. A two-hour episode, The Chinese Web, concluded the series. Three Spider-Man films, consisting of episodes from the series, was actually released theatrically overseas. These three movies included the original pilot film, Spider-Man, in 1977, Spider-Man Strikes Back in 1978, and the Chinese web episodes re-released as Spider-Man, The Dragon's Challenge in 1981. In the early 1980s, Transworld Incorporated repackaged almost all of the episodes into seven TV movies for U.S. syndication. Multiple sources state the series was canceled by CBS to avoid being labeled as the Superhero Network. CBS had already aired the Shazam and Isis Hour for several years on Saturday morning. In primetime, on Friday nights, Wonder Woman, followed by The Incredible Hulk, and by July of that year had already aired the TV specials of Doctor Strange and Captain America. Like nearly all the TV superhero attempts of the time, Spider-Man fought ordinary criminals and had none of the supporting characters or villains from the comics, such as Norman Osborn or the Green Goblin, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, or Captain Stacy. The show even received criticism from fans as a result, and Stan Lee supposedly said the series was too juvenile. Starting in 1980, the series was released on VHS, Laserdisc, and RCA's CED format, but suffered from incomplete releases, and they did not release the episodes as they were originally aired. They typically released them as the repackaged TV movies. The series has not been released on DVD, Blu-ray, or any digital format, despite interest from fans and ample opportunities for sales tie-ins. Now that we've had three Spider-Man theatrical continuities... One can only speculate there is some sort of legal issue holding up a release. And there is currently an online petition for ABC Disney-owned Marvel Entertainment to release Spider-Man on DVD in time for the 40th anniversary this year. It's Energize Spider-Man, battery not included. Attach the spider clamp, flip the switch, and the motorized web climber starts him climbing, keeps him climbing. Energize Spider-Man, the spider web trap for lifting and pulling. The spider light, you can watch him climb in the dark and pretend he's searching for the enemy. The power pack turns on the spider copter, sold separately. Spider-Man Energize Spider-Man comes with motorized web climber. Spider-Copter sold separately by Remco. Meanwhile, in Japan... 
Yes, it's the Japanese 1978 production of Spider-Man by the Toei Company. This is something you might have seen mentioned in Starlog and other genre magazines in the 80s and 90s, but not until the internet was widely available did this become basically known to the general public. Japanese Spider-Man, or Supaida-Man, was part of the tokusatsu TV genre, which is a Japanese catch-all term for any live-action sci-fi or fantasy media show that makes use of a lot of live special effects. Early examples of this would have been 1967's Johnny Sacco and his flying robot, which can be seen Sunday nights on MeTV. Evidently officially licensed from Marvel, this production took a lot of liberties with the story. Instead of Peter Parker, he was Takuya Yamashiro and had a spider bracelet, which looked very similar to Nicholas Hammond's web shooters. His costume would actually shoot out of a bracelet compartment, very similar to the way the Flash costume would shoot out of his ring in the Flash comics. And this results in a hilariously awesome transformation segment, which is virtually the same every time, which ends up with his costume being zipped up. Supaida-Man's costume was even more faithful to the comics version than the CBS show. And in typical Japanese pop entertainment fashion, this show featured kaiju or giant monsters, robots, and outrageous vehicles. Takuya rode a motorcycle and operated fantastic vehicles such as his jet car, the GP7. In times of dire need, that would dock into the Marveler, a larger flying vehicle, and that would then transform into a giant flying robot reminiscent of the Power Rangers Megazord. The word is Marvel was not happy with some of the elements of this series, perhaps one of those being when Spider-Man would whip out a machine gun and off the bad guys. The climbing effects are arguably better than the CBS show, and the overall format and editing of the show is very similar to later efforts imported to the U.S., most notably the Super Sentai series, which became Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. While released on Japan in DVD in the early 2000s, this show was not officially seen outside Japan until 2009, when Marvel began streaming the series worldwide for the first time. While there is no current official Region 1 U.S. release for this show, you can find it on YouTube and on various places online. 
Imagine a 15-minute shopping spree in your child's favorite toy store. That's right, up to $1,000 of Mego toys absolutely free. Just look for this Mego 8-inch Superheroes display. Fill out this sweepstake coupon or a 3x5 card and mail to this address. That's not all. Buy his favorite 8-inch superhero and get this poster free. But act now. Offer ends June 30th. Look for this superhero display at your local toy store. the importance of keeping faith with a friend or someone you love, even if it seems they've done something wrong. If they have, it'll come out soon enough. But if they haven't, they need someone who will believe in them when others won't. That's what being a true friend really means. See you next week. Next time on Forgotten TV. Oh, come on, Doctor. This research that you're doing, everybody would like to know how to tap into their hidden strengths. David, there's something here. There's an abnormal concentration of the adenine thymine combination. Uh, Elena, we may have found it. And I'd like to thank the following YouTube channels for making a lot of these clips possible. Jeff Warren, The Web of the Spider, The Channel, Brick Mantooth, and Ultimate Toy Collector. If you like Forgotten TV, be sure to check out the Shazam Isis podcast. Be sure and subscribe to Forgotten TV on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To interact with me on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or to easily support the show by shopping on Amazon, that's all linked up for you at Forgotten.tv. Until next time, I'm Chris Cooling, and this has been Forgotten TV. Forgotten TV.